Welcome to the Texas Values Report. This is Jonathan Sines, President of Texas Values. Great to be with you on another glorious week in the state of Texas. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a great Valentine's Day and you're enjoying the 80 degree weather that I was experiencing yesterday as I was out on a ball field with watching one of my kids. But hey, this is not a show about the weather. We talk about the issues of faith, family, and freedom in the arenas of the courts, the legislature, and the media. And I'm so excited if you're watching on Facebook to have this backdrop again that we have. Many of y'all may know we went through a couple of moves as our organization has been growing, and we got the uh, studio, the in-house studio going again, and that's how we get the benefit of this backdrop. Speaking of Facebook, if you're watching on Facebook, if you'll do like me, I'm going to go ahead and share this post on my personal Facebook page so we can drive up some traffic because we're going to have a great conversation today with a friend of mine and somebody who is a veteran when it comes to politics and policy, particularly in the state of Texas, but certainly in other parts of the country. Matt McCoviak is going to be our guest today on the Texas Values Report. He runs an organization called Potomac Strategy Group, and he's also the chair of the Travis County Republican Party. But for many years, he's been involved at the federal level, the state level, and also at the local level in political races and also policy issues. And with the State of the State Address coming up with the Governor Abbott later tonight, we thought he'd be a great guest to talk a little bit about that issue. Matt, welcome to the Texas Values Report. Great to be here. Thank you, Jonathan. How are you? I'm good. Well, one thing I didn't mention in uh, your bio is that you're also a fellow graduate of the University of Texas. We might talk a little sports if we've got some extra time later in the program, which I always enjoy doing, and I know you do as well. Hey, listen, it's good to have you on. You and I see each other around quite a bit, and we have over many years. And I know with your recent role, you've gotten a lot involved in things locally, but for quite a long time, I know a lot of your focus has been what's happening at the state level, not only politically, but policy wise. And so there's a lot of talk about things that are happening at the state of the state tonight. But just I just want to start with tell us a little bit about the work that you do with Potomac Strategy Group so our listeners and viewers can become aware of that. Yeah, thanks. So uh, I grew up in Austin, went to UT, graduated, went to DC for 10 years, worked in the Bush administration, Bush White House, US Senate as a press secretary, came back to D to Austin uh, in two late 2011, started uh, my consulting company, Potomac Strategy Group, which does corporate public relations and helps conservative uh, candidates run for office from the local level all the way up uh, to the top, basically. So we've been doing that now for I don't know, 12, 13 years of six employees, two paid interns. Uh, you know, we do a lot of different things and, and we enjoy helping uh, good people uh, with whatever projects they have. Well, and I know one thing you do a lot, you make a lot of media appearances, a lot of the local media, sometimes state and national, will ask for your insight on different issues. Uh, a lot of times in your role as the Travis County Republican Party chair, you'll be up against, you know, the Democratic Party chair or somebody in that lane. But a lot of times it's related to policy issues. And there's a lot going on at our state legislature right now. I mean, we're into the second month. We've got House committees in place. Of course, Senate committees have been in place for a while. And, you know, things are starting to move. There's some hearings this week on the budget. Um, what is your view on how things are going? If there's anything different about this session, as far as the timing, as far as the prospects of a certain piece of legislation, what, what's your assessment so far about what you're seeing at the state capitol? Yeah. So, uh, Jonathan, as you know, a lot of the work that, uh, that goes into a legislative session actually occurs before the legislative session during the interim period. 
when you have interim committees and interim charges. Um, and of course, elections, of course, affect the legislative session too. And if you look at the 2022 election, it was a good year in, in Texas for Republicans. Uh, statewide candidates won pretty much every one of them by double digits or more, including Governor Greg Abbott. Um, they picked up one seat in the state house, one seat in the state senate, one congressional seat. So the statewides, uh, the, the vast majority of the statewides now have a four-year term and won't be facing both the primary elector, the general election, or the general elector, excuse me, anytime soon. Um, obviously, coming into this session, I think there's a couple big issues that really uh, are, are the overarching issues that, at the moment. I think they're going to get the most attention. They're going to be part of the biggest push. Uh, I think you have to start with property taxes being being number one. Uh, it's an issue that no matter where you live in Texas, um, you know, people are, are facing significant challenges related to valuations, uh, related to be able to afford to stay in their homes. Um, and so we are, as a state, in an enviable position with a 30-plus billion dollar rainy day fund, the largest in our history. Um, and so the question is going to be how much of that gets spent and how does it get spent? And of course, the House and Senate are going to have to agree on that. And they may have di different initial priorities, but I think you're going to see 10 or 15 billion of that uh, surplus go towards buying down property taxes, perhaps cutting them in half over 10 years, uh, which I think is the stated goal. So I think that's really the biggest um, overarching issue. There are other major issues. Certainly school choice uh, is going to be a big issue. I think you'll hear the governor really lean into that and push that hard tonight in the state of the state address, which is going to air in most media markets on at least one local channel, will also be live streamed. Um, you know, we've seen really some just crazy things happening in school districts across the state uh, related to, to LGBT issues, related to gender ideology, uh, related to, to race issues and other things. Um, and, and of course, all that's combining with frustration that a lot of parents have over the last two or three years of lockdowns. Uh, you've seen <clears throat> public school enrollment uh, decrease, particularly in urban areas, uh, even at a time when populations increasing. And that's because parents are voting with their feet to the extent they can. You know, the challenge of school choice is if you're a rich parent, uh, you would never accept uh, uh, having your child be trapped in a failing school. If you're a poor parent, uh, you may not be able to move. Uh, it may not be financially possible for you. And so school choice exists today. It just exists for rich people who can afford to put their kids wherever they want. Uh, school choice doesn't exist for middle class uh, and working class Texans. And I think uh, this is the best chance we've ever had to pass meaningful school choice legislation. Presumably that'll be in the form of educational savings accounts. Um, you've seen states like Arizona, Florida, Tennessee do this over the last five to 10 years, all of which have been uh, pretty successful. So I think that's gonna be a, a big fight and there'll be lots of other issues. The grid may get some attention. Lieutenant governor's talked about trying to increase natural gas uh, uh, production in our state to try to shore up the grid. Uh, you have uh, an expiring tax program related uh, to manufacturing and to renewables uh, that's been significant in terms of economic development and job creation, the so-called Chapter 313 program, which most of your uh, listeners and viewers may not be super familiar with, but is a big issue. Uh, and there are others too. So, you know, what's interesting about tonight, this is so important to understand procedurally, Jonathan, yeah. is the legislature lasts 140 days. It's always slow the first 60 or so days. First 30 or 40 days, the House uh, has to take the preferences of 149 other members and try to figure out how they can put them on committees. Uh, and it's a very complicated kind of Rubik's Cube uh, to, to, to try to solve. Um, and, and so until the House forms committees, the House really can't do very much. Uh, the Senate has only 31 senators. Uh, almost all of them are back from, from, from last uh, session. So there's not a ton of movement. They may have a different chair here or there. You have a few freshmen that you need to slot in different places. But, but, but appointing committees in the Senate is generally less complicated. The other thing that's important, though, about the state of the state 
uh, and you know this, is that the governor will identify his uh, emergency items tonight. Emergency items are items that can be taken up earlier. Uh, and so I, I think you're going to see parental uh, bill of rights and school choice be one of those. I think property tax will be another. I think Operation Lone Star and, and continuing to fund the effort at the border will be another. And then we'll see if he wants to uh, include other things like going after rogue DAs in urban areas uh, and other issues. So uh, all eyes on the governor tonight. Um, it's an important speech, both in terms of emergency items, but also because it signals to the legislature what he what he is expecting and what he's requiring. And legislators don't want to have special sessions. They want to go back uh, after Memorial Day, back home to, to their districts, to their families, to summer vacation, to see their kids. And so the governor is going to make clear tonight, I think, what he expects and what he demands. And if these things don't happen, you're likely to see special session. Well, we're talking with Matt Makoviak. He is the leader of a strategy group called Potomac Strategy Group here in the Austin area. He's also the chairman of the Travis County Republican Party, getting some insight on what we think about the legislature so far, but also what may happen tonight on the governor's state of the state address. And I want to back up for a second for uh, our listeners and viewers so they understand what we're talking about. The legislative session started mid-January. There's usually some times with committees to be announced and assigned in the Senate and the House. It's usually not until March that you see a lot of activity as far as hearings and votes and some of those things being made. But a lot of important work is being done right now. We're going to have some deadlines come up on when bills can be filed and all those kind of things. And one thing that's different, though, and we're talking about the governor's state of the state address, similar in some ways, if you will, with the State of the Union address that we hear from our president, right? And one thing that's different though, Matt, um, and it's been this way for a couple of years, I guess, somewhat because of COVID, but maybe others, is typically it's not a publicly broadcast event, right? I mean, there may be some coverage of it, but it usually takes place in the House. It's a joint session. You have Senate members that are on the floor with the House members. The governor comes in and he's from the dice there in the in the uh, House of Representatives in our state capitol. And he gives the address during COVID, I guess, two years ago. Um, it was on TV. Now we see that again. I think there are people that are guests that are going to be in the audience, if you will, in, in San Marcos but a little bit different. And so I think it's interesting how it's become now primetime. And usually the speech is like at 11 or 12 during the day, right? When it's in that joint session. Now we're on, now it's on TV again, primetime, I believe 7 p.m., but a, an opportunity for a lot more people to hear what he's saying live. But I'm wondering if we'll see this moving forward. And I just think it's interesting. And I don't know if I expected it. Maybe you did others, um, but it, it'll be interesting to see if it's turned out. I mean, what do you make of the governor doing it on a different site and not at our state capitol and on prime time. Yeah, so it is different. It shows that he wants to get his message out uh, to, to all Texans or to as many as possible, rather than it being sort of an inside game in terms of communicating to the legislature. Look, the legislators are going to read it. Uh, many of them will watch it. They're going to study it uh, because uh, of what we talked about before related to special sessions, related to uh, you know bill signing and bill vetoes. But the governor, uh, you know, is a significant figure in Texas. Uh, and while we do have a little bit of a weaker governor kind of system in terms of our constitutional structure, he does have very specific powers, the power to appoint, the power to call special sessions, the power to sign and veto bills, the power to list emergency items. Uh, these are all, obviously the power to run state government and state agencies. Uh, this is a different approach, though. And I think you're right. I think you're right that, that he uh, experienced it differently during COVID. Uh, and so he is making the speech at a, a private business, I think, in San Marcos. Presumably, he'll have a decent, uh, decent audience there. Uh, I believe it's airing on 16 different local stations in, in 14 different markets. 
uh, through Nexstar uh, across the state. Uh, and so, you know, you know, in Austin, it's on KXAN and, and you know, in, in Dallas, it's on in Houston, it's on the CW network. Uh, it's on the Fox affiliate in Waco, et cetera, et cetera. You can find, uh, you know, that in your local listings. But uh, I actually think given the way politics is changing, it's more about uh, going directly to the people, more about an outside game rather than an inside game. And so uh, I think delivering that message to the largest audience possible uh, is smart. Uh, and the legislature is going to hear it, whether it's be being given at the Capitol or being given somewhere else. Well, and speaking of the state of the state address, we'll have some live coverage, if you will. We'll be putting it on live stream on our social media channels. And I think we're going to have uh, a segment after that where we just offer a little bit of commentary of what we heard and what the governor talked about to give our quick reactions. And, you know, I do think it's interesting, though, to have it on television, because I think maybe before COVID, a lot of people may not even realize that the governor did a state of the state address, right? You and I know that we've been around this uh, issue a lot. We've been around the Capitol a lot to see it, but I'd be, uh, you know, if there was a poll out there, I bet a lot of people didn't even realize the governor did something like this. And so it's kind of an educational thing too, for people to come a little bit more aware of that role that he has, the role of influence, right? He's the governor of our state, even though he's not going to be a part of the legislative process as far as, um, you know, voting on the House or Senate floor or voting in committees. He certainly has that influence. Real quick though, Matt, drill down a little bit on that emergency item issue. And so what that means as far as timing and why that's important. Yeah. So you've got, uh, you know, 140 day legislative session. And if I'm trying to remember the exact number of days, I think it's 60 days. Correct me if I'm right. wrong. I think that's it's right. the first six, 60 days uh, because of our, of our constitutional system and, and our constitution legislature cannot take up legislation and pass legislation in the first 60 days, unless the governor deems uh, a specific issue as an emergency item. Now, look, we're getting closer and closer and closer to yeah. 60 days here, right? So we're probably at what, 30, probably at 40 or 42 days right now, I guess. Uh, but you know, that, that means you might see uh, bills passed quickly in the Senate as soon as next week, maybe the end of next week after these items uh, get listed. And so, uh, you know, obviously you race the clock in, in, in a in a state that has a part time legislature that meets every other year. You're always racing the clock. Um, we don't have a, a full time permanent legislature uh, in Texas. I think a lot of Texans recognize that as a blessing because that limits government. Uh, it means only the most important things that have a consensus between the House and Senate in many cases that move on on a somewhat bipartisan basis uh, can break through. And so. Uh, we'll see what those items are tonight. As I said before, I'd be shocked if it wasn't parental bill of rights slash school choice, property tax, and something related to border security. I think those three. In the past, he's listed three, four, five items. You could have one or two more, and there's five or ten things he could put on that list. So we'll see what they are. We'll see whether that generates legislative activity with greater urgency uh, as soon as Monday. I think it probably will. Well, speaking of school choice, on March 13th, we're having our Texas Faith and Family Day. This is an event we only do during a legislative year. It's going to take place at the state capitol. Uh, Corey DeAngelis, who's talking a lot about the school choice issue and is from Texas, he's going to be one of our speakers. Abby Johnson, pro-life leader. And the young lady, Riley Gaines, who's leading a lot of the Save Women Sports issues. She's a NCAA women uh, winning swimmer herself, will be there on March 13th. I want to close out with that, too, a little bit of detail on the school choice, Matt. You made a couple of comments at the beginning about this issue about you know some of the factors that have put this in a position for us to maybe see something because you and I've seen this time again people come to the capitol and they say this is the session this is the session uh, on school choice and it always just kind of falls apart but I agree with you I think things are different this time what are you seeing 
Yeah, well, first of all, the governor has been, I think, more public about his support for school choice. Really, I would say I would almost call it aggressive, more aggressive over the last, let's call it six months, making absolutely clear he is all in on school choice, that he wants to see this happen, uh, that he's putting his political muscle behind it. Now, as you know, Jonathan, as, as insiders know, that this, this generally breaks down to a House versus Senate battle. And the reason for that is the House has a much larger number of rural members who are Republicans. Generally speaking, rural Republican House members feel like school choice uh, may not benefit their districts. And so they are uh, somewhat reticent or resistant uh, to getting on board. You know, the argument I would make to them is if they don't think it's going to benefit their districts, then it's also not going to cost them anything either right. or, 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 or reduce enrollment. At the end of the day, uh, you know, Texas should not be lagging other red states uh, when it comes to school choice. And we have been. Uh, we have done a lot with charter schools. We have equalized the tax treatment so that construction is now treated the same way it is with public schools. We've increased the cap on a stair-step basis over uh, six or eight or 10 years. In fact, Dan Patrick, before he was lieutenant governor, he was Senate education chair, uh, uh, led that effort. Those are good things. You have something like 300,000 kids in Texas in charter schools, but you have 60,000 of them on waiting lists. Uh, and so the question now is, are we just going to make school choice about charter schools? Charter schools are public schools. They have a lottery. You apply. Maybe you get in. Probably you don't. You get on a waiting list. Um, we have more uh, kids trapped in failing schools uh, than, than, than the 60,000 that are on waiting lists. And so uh, you know, the question is, are they going to be able to get to an outcome at the end of this legislative session? You could perhaps see them carving out some of the rural counties in some way. I think that's an idea that's been kicked around. If that's the way to get this done, that may be how it gets done. But the fact that you have lieutenant governor, the Senate and the governor all pushing in the same direction with, with a certain number of conservative members in the House gives us more momentum than we've had before on this issue. So we'll see if they get it done. I think it's probably 60 percent chance, 70 percent chance they ultimately get it done. Uh, but we're going to have to see. No, we certainly will. And it does feel like that sometimes. The clock is ticking. There's a limited amount of time. And certainly that can put a lot of pressure on people to get serious about these things. And uh, and we will see some hearings on these issues for sure. And the governor's voice, I agree, has been much stronger than we've seen in the past. I agree that you want to call it an aggressive approach. I think that's fair and that's accurate. And, and I expect as well to see that issue talked about and maybe even be one of the emergency items mentioned. And the governor a lot of times mentions other items that he doesn't categorize, excuse me, categorize as emergency, sort of as a way to signal other things that they care about. So we'll be listening and watching for that tonight. Hey, Matt, great conversation. Appreciate your insight and your expertise on these issues. And we hope to have you back again. Matt Makoviak has been our guest today on the Texas Values Report. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. All right, we're going to let Matt peel off. And I got just a couple of minutes left. I kept Matt on a little bit longer than I probably expected to or, or maybe told him I would because he knows a lot. He's been around these issues a lot. He's He knows what usually happens, how the process works. Also, he, he comments a lot on these things. He's asked to do that. And so I do think it's interesting to see what's going to happen. Um, and, and I mean, I know during COVID, the governor did speak and that was sort of, hey, we're trying to be careful with COVID and not have big crowds. But that's not the case now. So we'll see um, not only this year, but in future sessions, if this is sort of the trend that continues the governor doing something primetime. And I do think it adds value as far as more people being aware of it and the governor being able to get a message out to a wider audience of people. Speaking of a wider audience, March 13th is our Texas Faith and Family Day. We'd love to have you come be a part of this. This is an all-day event. This is your event. This is when you get to come to the Capitol, work with our team, other great organizations, Concerned Women for America of Texas, Patriot Mobile, 
Texas Pastors Council, National Association of Christian Lawmakers. It's probably a few more, a few more I'm not mentioning. Go to the website, texasfaithandfamily.com. You can register for the event. It only costs $5, and we just charge that so we can cover your lunch, because you're going to want to have lunch that day, right? You're going to eat. And trust me, you try to eat for less than $5 at the Capitol on your own, good luck. You're probably not going to be able to. So that's all that we're doing there. But it starts at 9 in the morning. Um, we're going to have a briefing session till 1130. We're going to have a rally on the South Steps, and then we're going to spend the rest of the day, right after we have lunch, we're going to spend the rest of the day matching you up with your Texas House and Senate member. So you can connect with them and let them know that you care about the pro-life issue, you care about school choice, or you care about the Save Women's Sports. You can decide what you want to talk to them about, um, but we're going to give you a variety of things that you can cover. One of the things that I think you might hear about in the budget tonight is the Alternatives to Abortion program, that we want to continue to support that so women have funding, so pregnancy centers that are nonprofit have funding to support women and their babies, not only um, in the womb when a woman's pregnant, but after the baby is born as well. That's how we continue to create and nurture and make stronger the culture of life here in the state of Texas. But the Texas Faith and Family Day is not the only day you could come to the Capitol. So if you want to come on a different day, that's fine. But the benefit of doing it or coming on that day is you're going to meet people from all across the state that are like-minded. Maybe you didn't realize, maybe one of your neighbors, somebody you go to church with, or somebody from another part of the state that has an interesting viewpoint on some of these issues or insight, and you get to connect. Maybe you've got family members that live in different parts of the state, but there are a variety of reasons. And you'll be able to see, wow, there are all these people in Texas that are on the same page as I am, and we can team up on these issues. And so just a great opportunity to uh, um, make new friends and relationships. As a matter of fact, we're setting up a bus in the North Houston area. We might be having one in Dallas and in San Antonio, just depends on the interest and demand. But we, um, we've had uh, hundreds of tickets that have been sold already. We want to get that number up, okay? TexasFaithAndFamily.com is the website, or go to our main website, txvalues.org, and you'll see a link to get registered today. But you're gonna have, we're going to have elected officials there too. Not only some of these key people that are involved in these issues, but also elected officials. Do you know who Riley Gaines is? Have you seen some of the coverage? This is the female swimmer from the University of Kentucky. She's an NCAA women's swimmer, one of the most accomplished swimmers during her time. She was forced to compete against Leah Thomas. Okay, this guy from Austin, Texas, who went to the University of Pennsylvania and started swimming on the, on the women's team, right? There was a lot of news about it. A little over a year ago during the summer, there's been continued concern because we need to have a law that, that's in place that makes it clear that women are not forced to compete against men in college sports. Um, the overwhelming majority of women that are CEOs of business, they have a sports competition background. It is so key to continue to make this fair and to make um, and, and to make sure that women are protected. Riley's going to talk about that. Not only was she forced to swim against this guy who, who goes by the name Leah now, he used the women's locker room undress completely. I mean, you know how it is when they swim, right? They don't wear a whole lot. So they stripped down completely before putting on their swimsuit. They were not told ahead of time. None of these women got noticed. It was very traumatic for them. And you can imagine how often that's happening now 
as people continue to act like it's not a big deal and a concern, and it is. So Riley's going to talk a little bit about that and some other things that she's had to deal with on that issue and why it's important for her and you and others to be a voice, and we want to get legislation passed on that. Lieutenant Governor Patrick announced his priority items um, on Monday. And one of them was the save women's sports issue. One of them was banning gender modification, sex changes for children, where they lose body parts that they can't regain. Um, one of them was protecting and strengthening the alternatives to abortion issue, school choice, parental rights, a lot of great stuff on there. Go to our website. You'll see some information about that. And if you don't get our email, you would have gotten an email on Tuesday where you have heard all of these details covered. So sign up for our email um, if you don't already get it. We want to make sure that you can continue to stay connected and educated about our issues. Speaking of Governor Abbott, over the weekend, he announced his support for the Save Women's Sports issue. He was speaking at an event in Dallas, I think the Young Americas for Freedom event, and he was asked about it. I think former Governor Scott Walker was there and asked him somehow the issue came up, and he said that he supports Riley Gaines. He didn't mention her by name, but he described this woman swimmer from Kentucky. We knew he was talking about Riley and his support for Save Women's Sports legislation. He said, we're going to get something passed, that we're going to pass some legislation on that issue this session at the college level, reminding people we, we already have that protection for kindergarten through 12 uh, grade, because that's what we worked on passing. And Texas Values led the effort last session on that. Listen, if you see value in the work we're doing, the topics we're discussing, please consider making a donation today. We are a nonprofit organization. We're a 501c3 organization. So your, um, your donations are tax deductible. Go to txvalues.org, make that tax deductible donation today. And that's how we continue to protect faith, family, and freedom in the great state of Texas. And we do have job openings on our website. If you're interested in working with us, you want to volunteer. We need volunteers for the Texas Faith and Family Day, okay? Not only people attending, but people volunteering to help us with all these hundreds of people that are going to come from across the state. So check our website, sign up for our email so you can stay connected on those issues. And um, that's how together we'll protect faith, family, and freedom in the state of Texas. And we'll talk to you next week on the Texas Values Report.